get up, get, get up, get up. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to episode 114 of the Mets Up Podcast, the official podcast of the New York Mets. Today, we have an action-packed episode. We had the series against the Washington Nationals. Cool. Uh, a guy named Jacob deGrom pitched. That's really cool. Max Scherzer pitched. Chris Bassett, the big three, was on the mound for a series out in Washington, which is really, really nice. We also have the trade deadline. Everybody wants to talk about it. It is the hot-button topic issue right now in Mets world, so we're going to go over all the trade deadline acquisitions, as well as maybe some that they didn't make, as well as just kind of the big moves all around the league, so make sure you guys stick around for this episode. It is going to be a action-packed one coming at you. If you are not yet following us on our social media, check us out at MetsUp everywhere, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Just dropped a TikTok with Chris Bassett. It's a great one. You should check it out. Make sure you follow us over there. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this, go to the New York Mets YouTube channel and subscribe over there so that you don't miss out on any of the video episodes coming out at you. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get them, drop us a rating, drop us a review, subscribe, download, do everything that you can over there. We really do appreciate it. And James, let's bring you in. How you doing, man? Really good. Notice that you gave the Bassett, Scherzer, DeGrom trio, the big three name. The big three, yeah. Interesting. You just, you just did that off the cuff. I just did that off the cuff. Uh, didn't That wasn't planned. That wasn't written down anywhere in our notes. I mean, you did all the notes today. I, I didn't type anything. We were out in Washington for game two, and... I've I've come home since then and I have sat on my couch. I took a nap. I really didn't do much <laughs> since then. I watched I watched the game though. I watched game three. There you go. Of course, that's the least you could probably do. Yeah, I've I've had a hectic day since then. I, just, I took a short nap after we got back. And then I worked. I went for a run. Made some food. Now did all this. Now we're here. Nice. I just, nice early recording. I feel like the last forty eight hours, last seventy two hours, especially with the trade deadline, and personally for me moving into the new apartment. It has been absolute chaos, plus going to D.C., plus coming back. It's been absolutely insane, and I feel like that's a perfect way to start this episode. Let's talk about the trade deadline. Just wrapped up yesterday. The Mets made some moves. The Mets also didn't make some moves in terms of what other people thought they should have made. But honestly, at the end of the day, James, I'd love to get your opinion as what you thought this deadline was for the Mets. I thought it was fine. I thought the Mets just kind of almost identified every single hole they had and like plugged as many as they saw fit to plug they didn't get a catcher we knew that but i think that everyone when they think about trades they always think about the players going in but they think less about not the players going out in the trade but the players going out of a roster so if the mets were to acquire any kind of starting caliber catcher they would have had to designate one of their catchers for assignment it seems like they at least for varying reasons have are high on them and not maybe not even high on them but it's just I don't know. We spent we've been spending a lot of time in and around this team. I could never imagine them designating Tomas Nito for assignment the way that he's like become a bit of an emotional leader and as and, as highly as all the pitchers speak about him. And I don't think it would be James McCann who's signed to a pretty decent contract with the Mets and he's coming back from injury, I know, but like would Wilson Contreras been an upgrade for this team offensively? No doubt. I mean, he is just one of the best hitting catchers in all of baseball right now, but also at the same time he didn't get traded. He's still on the Chicago Cubs. There was clearly a really, really high asking price on a guy like Wilson Contreras, especially because they were trying to remember when they were trying to package him up with David Robertson, and then they—I don't want to say traded him to Philly for scraps, but they traded him for one prospect. Yeah, that one prospect did get a lot of flack online. People were just making fun of the fact that it was some guy named Benny Brown. No one heard of, but we looked into him. He's actually a pop-up prospect this year. The Phillies have had a couple of their lower minors pitching prospects. 
just get good all of a sudden. And Andrew Brown's a guy. Oh, not Andrew Brown. Ben, ben Brown. Ben, ben Brown is a guy they drafted out of high school who took who's taken a few years, but seems like he's matured. He's averaging like. I, it was like almost 11 strikeouts per nine, right? Yeah, he's been really like good. That. I mean, like... Well, because I know, think a lot of Mets fans were specifically angry at that trade because it seemed like the Phillies gave up a prospect that wasn't very good because the tweet went around that he was ranked like 28th of all Phillies prospects. That was a ranking from the preseason before he got good. And that was also like foolish too because like MLB pipeline rankings relatively for the most part are, are kind of nonsense really at the yeah. end of the day. Like, you know, the top five guys are usually legit. But outside of that, it's kind of just all nonsense. And the biggest thing there was that David Robertson's a pitcher that everybody knows. Like he's, yes. he's popular and famous. So that's an easy thing to be like, we didn't get this guy, and that's his name, and now I'm upset. And also the one thing that was, I would say, somewhat disappointing is that the Mets did not get that lefty reliever a lot of people yeah. wanted, including both of us. But I think they're just going to ride with internal options. Like They still have Alex Claudio, who's been medium. Of, I don't know. He, I don't have... Ah. He's just he's a he's a wily veteran. I'll call him that. He's a yeah, wily he's veteran. Crafty. Who, he's crafty. He he's herky jerky. He throws like submarine sidearm left handed stuff. Like I think also too the left handed reliever need is being overblown. It's not necessarily that I don't think the Mets could have improved there. Uh, I'm not saying that. I would have liked a better left handed option. Of course, I think that would have been an improvement for this team. But especially with Juan Soto now leaving this division and Bryce Harper being out for the year. The big left-handed bats are down to what? Like Matt Olson? That's yeah, kind of it. That's not even what it's about. It's not about the big the big lefty bats in your division. It's just about being able to mix and match better at the end of games against whoever. And also, we say Matt Olson against lefties. He has two home runs off David Peterson already this year against well, yeah. the lefty. Yeah. And like I think but, with the three batter minimum rule too, yeah, that's where I was you going. Sh- you should be focused on relievers that are going to get everybody just out rather than a guy pitch. who's just one sided. Yeah, just good pitchers. Like if you're getting a righty reliever, let's say the Mets got a righty reliever who we think might be pretty good. Like if that's as valuable as getting a lefty one. I think it's just people kind of have these check boxes when they're watching their own team at the trade deadline, and the none and of I these boxes. It. Yeah, it may, like I understand the anger. I don't understand the level of anger. No, I under, no, no. I understand like a bit of disappointment. I understand being underwhelmed is the word we could use, but I don't yeah. understand people being like this was a wasted opportunity. Like we, didn't, I mean, it maybe theoretically is a wasted opportunity, but I don't know. I don't know what move the Mets really could have made that could have quenched these thirsts. It feels like everyone was like, for the left-handed reliever, calling for Chafin, who I know we've talked about on this podcast, who has looked good. But again, like it seems like the price for these guys were really high. And I, I do, I trust the Mets internals right now. We've talked about highly about how smart this organization has got, how many numbers guys, how many dudes that are just way smarter than we can even imagine. Ben Zausmer being like the, the head of those numbers. And I just trust that they understand the value that these guys would have brought in and must have realized that it was marginal based on what they would have had given up, you know? And even just marginal based on what they would have been improving on what they already had. Like, I don't know. Like, I just think that this Mets bullpen has gotten too much flack this year for being something that's not even that bad. It also seems like they are going to commit to trying out David Peterson in a bullpen role given the health of the rest of the rotation. Like, it's they already they gave him two outings there already. They didn't go particularly well, but it seems he's going to start this weekend for the doubleheader. We could talk about the Braves all the way at the end of this episode, but it seems like that is someone who's going to be a lefty reliever for us. And they also got Philip Deal last week in the Naquin deal, so I don't know what's going to happen. But before we just talk about like big picture things, we got to just talk about the two players the Mets did actually acquire. Yes, Michael Givens and Darren Ruff. 
I'm gonna start Michael Givens because he just had a horrific outing, and Mets fans are ready to literally, literally just throw <laughs> throw him off, throw him off the yeah, uh, bridge. I'm gonna defer to you on this one because I know you're the pitching guy. I'll take Darren Ruff after this, but like it is, yeah. it's um, it's very fitting. That, oh, it's amazing. It's nothing like, better than it. Well, even with, uh, I guess we'll talk about it in game two afterwards. But it, like the perfect storm of overreactions yes. was like the last 48 hours for Mets fans. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just going to help everyone try and get back to level because I do believe that Michael Givens is good. He's a guy who's always had pretty good results in his career despite pitching for not only, at the time, some of very dumb organizations, but the worst ballparks in all baseball to pitch in. Colorado, Cincinnati, Baltimore before the fence got moved in, whereas three teams before this year. And he was still like a guy who had good results over his career. I did my relief pitcher free agent rankings in the offseason. I think he was like inside my top 10 along with Adam Adovino, Jake Diekman, and... um. And Chafin was towards the back end of that, and not uh, Familia. Not I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I can't go through it all now. I kind of yeah. Don't worry but about it now. <laughs> Givens, if anyone did watch him today and like didn't like pull their hair out, he has a very unique release point on his fastball. He gets like really good extension, but he's also kind of like this like sidearmy thing, which is really similar to your favorite pitcher, Paul Seawald. Yes, that's kind of the exact same mold there because he has the good fastball that has like. So, Slightly above average velocity, setting like 94, 95, gets up to 96, but with really good ride, so has that rising action, which is more unique because he comes from a sidearm and still gets a good backspin on it. And he has a really good slider that he's been throwing more this year that helped him to have one of the best halves they ever had in his career from when he came this year with the Cubs before he got traded here. And even with that slider being thrown more this year, I expect Jeremy Hefner, just he's done that basically every pitch on this team, to be like throw it more. Yes. And he, all, he also has a legit changeup. That was always his secondary pitch in his career. And the fact that he's like a true three-pitch reliever is like something pretty rare in the league. There's not many guys you could say like they have three-plus pitches. <laughs> like he had a 30% strikeout rate with the Cubs this year, 260 ERA. And Wednesday was terrible. But Wednesday was the first time he'd allowed an earned run since June 14th. 17 he was, appearances. He was due. He was due. It just happened 100%. to be in his first game. appearance Great time Mets. to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it was definitely the perfect storm of people being like, we got this reliever who I don't really recognize and who I, I'm just going to have to not like because his name is Andrew Chafin or David Robertson. And now I'm going to freak out because he gave up runs against the Nationals in his first game. Yeah, especially after what happened in Game 2, losing to the Nationals in Game 2. Like, it was, it was the perfect storm again. And then to talk about the other pickup that they got, Darren Ruff. He's good. He's good at what he does. He crushes left-handed pitching. I got some. I got some slack on on the internet on social media. Flack. Flack. Well, both. I got. I got a little bit of both. I'm gonna. Slack. I'm gonna use. Call slack, a slack is like if someone gives you slack, that'd be like a good thing. That means they give you more room. I thought you could call, catch a little slack too. You know, is that it's just it's flack. Not, it's catching flack, giving okay. slack. Okay, I'm so bad at these sayings. It's, it's shockingly. You have I'm, them I'm, all really close. I'm, I'm like my dad. My dad does this. And I, this it just hit me that I'm very similar to my dad, which is quite the revelation. But anyway, I was catching a lot of flack on Twitter because I said Darren Rush, cru- Darren Rush, Darren Ruff crushes lefties, really struggling out here today. And he does. He has like an 870 OPS against lefties this year. The the reason his numbers are down this year compared to last year is that the Giants just played him straight up more. Last year, he basically only played against left-handed pitching, and his numbers were really good. And this year, he had to play against righties a lot more. So, yeah, he's not a complete player in the way that you don't want him facing a top right-handed reliever in the game. But the way that the Mets have now built out this roster... He takes the spot of J.D. Davis, who obviously got traded in this move, and then you have a guy like Daniel Vogelback or even Tyler Naquin taking over that Dom Smith spot, where now they're the improved DH platoon combo, whatever it's going to be, and those three guys all do their one thing really, really well. Darren Ruff is one of them. He's also had an incredibly hot like last two months. Yeah, Ruff, you mentioned it before, but he was playing every single day for the first two months of the year because the Giants were just 
irrecoverably banged up. Yeah, so he, but basically an everyday player. His stats were terrible, and it was kind of hurting his entire game, which is funny. He had more at-bats against righties than lefties for the first two months of the year, which is something that he didn't do very much at all last year. And over those two months, he had zero home runs. Since they put him back in his preferred role of just kind of facing the lefties, he has 11 home runs since May 1st. And that's not really the biggest sample for a lot of these hitting stats, but since May 1st, he has a 320 ISO, 165 WRC+, plus, and 946 OPS against left-handed pitching. Crushes it. I mean, what was the stat you told me on the train yesterday about his home runs? <laughs> I tweeted, <laughs> Darren Ruff has more home runs. It's so mean. He has more home runs since May 1st of this year than J.D. Davis has since the beginning of 2021. Yeah. 11 versus 9. It's like, tough. It's really tough, but it's true. Yeah, like, and I get it. J.D. Davis was like our guy. We had some really good moments with him. I wish the best for him out in San Francisco. Go kill it. Go go have a great year. I, don't, I really won't bother me, especially he's going back home. I'm sure it's going to be nice yeah. for him, too. And there's a chance he does play together and have that great year. He just needs to make more contact. But that I, we couldn't spend this next two months like worrying about J.D. Davis' development. Just give me someone who could do it. And along with that power against lefties, Darren Ruff has one of the highest walk rates in baseball, about 12%. Like him and Vogelbach together, just like like just tie, yes. tie, tie a rope around them. They're 1DH now, and they're elite. Yeah, they're, they're really good at what they do. Good at bats, crush the opposite arms that they see. And, I mean, we saw it this weekend, too, or this week with Daniel Vogelback. Dude dude swings the bat really well against righties. And people were upset about the return in this trade because the Mets gave up four players for someone who's, yeah. like, as one-dimensional as it gets. But there's also two single-A pitchers who kind of popped up this year who, I mean, there's, like, not even a great chance either of those guys ever reach the majors. If they do, there's a better chance it's as a reliever than as a starter. And then... Thomas Apucky, who Mets fans were ready to, again, like similarly to Michael Gibbons, throw off a bridge like a few weeks ago. And then J.J. Davis, who's just like probably the 40-man spot. But that's, yeah, that's at, what. at some point, you have to move on, and it felt like it was the appropriate time to move on from J.D. I think the guy's still a really good hitter, but it just doesn't feel like right now with this Mets team, he fits into this roster, especially if we are trying to win now. I know there was other bats you could have gone after. The Theoretically one... fits into the Mets roster. He just wasn't, like, exactly performing. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's just with that performance, you can't really continue to run a guy out there every single day or at least against the lefties when you can get better options, which is what they did with Darren Ruff. He is no doubt better than J.D. Davis against left-handed pitching right now. 100%. He's also been hitting. This is hilarious. and This is just kind of just being, like, being goofy. But he has been significantly better at the plate than... Um, was J.D. Martinez over the last three months as well. Ooh, that's a fun one. And J.D. swinging the bat well, too. J.D. Did not, has not really swung the bat well. J.D. had an amazing, a good April, a really amazing May, and then okay, June, July. Yeah, June, July, he's just really just fallen off a little bit, which is kind of, that could happen to a player when he gets old. It's just it, the, the, the downside can sneak up on you. I'm not saying that Darren Ruff's better than J.D. Martinez. I'm just saying that his last two months of results have been better than J.D. Martinez. So you can, and, in baseball, you can, find, you can find production in many different ways, and I think the Mets are trying to find their production unique ways right now. I mean, I really didn't think coming out of this deadline, we would improve as much as we did, which is going to be hard for a lot of people to hear. They probably were just like, improve! We got Darren Ruff, we got Daniel Vogel, who are these guys? One guy told me the Mets got worse because we traded Colin Holderman. That's just patently incorrect. I mean, that's that's so bad. But like, I mean, you think about the moves they made. You got Naquin, that's an improvement over Jankowski. You got Darren Ruff, that's an improvement over JD. You got Daniel Vogel back, that's an improvement over Dom. Trevor May came back today, looked good in an inning, which we'll talk about later. And Michael Givens was an improvement on whoever's going to be the last arm in the bullpen. So this Mets even, team... Even if you think he's the last arm in the bullpen. He's yeah. better than the old last guy. Yeah, he's better than Steven Nagosik or Yoan Lopez, whoever takes up that last spot on a given day. But at the end of the day, I just don't 
I, I understand why people are upset because like we said at the beginning of this, you didn't get the big name. You didn't get the you didn't get the headline. You didn't get the back page of the paper. You see the well, Yankees you know, get funny. Frankie Montas we, and you didn't get the back page of the paper. Last year the Mets did get the back page of the paper. The guy produced really well. He was one of the better in terms of just you're only looking at production. In a vacuum. One of the better in a vacuum looking at production. One of the better trade deadline acquisitions in the modern era, literally. Yeah. Especially at the plate. And Mets fans were miserably furious. <laughs> It's just, just can't win. You just can't win with some Mets fans. No, you can't win. And we really do hope that those of you who are listening who were upset about this trade deadline, hopefully we've been able to maybe talk you off the ledge a little bit. Because, like, really, at the end of the day, I, we were talking about, like, I do a big thing on my YouTube channel every year, grading the, the trade deadline acquisitions, grading every team's. And I think the Mets got to be. I don't think it was the best deadline that they could have possibly had. But to think that this Mets team isn't better off than they were before the deadline is just straight up, it, it's dumb. Literally, I mean, we talked about a lot of year that the bench was probably one of the weakest spots in this team. The bench got dramatically better. Way dramatically. better bench. Way better. Dramatically. This, this reminds me a lot of the 2015 trade deadline, except you don't get Yohannes Cespedes, who's the big bat. Yeah. But, like, improving the bench, we always talk about Juan Uribe, Kelly Johnson, like those guys. They, they Mets might have found their kind of Juan Uribe Johnson type players. And the Mets starting lineup right now has basically, like, five five players who are going to wind up being, like, five-win players or yeah. maybe at least four-win players in the season's all said and done. So... It's kind of easy to say that this team, while it's always great to get those the, as many as ma- amazing players as you possibly can at any given moment, just having those guys already in place, being like a Lindor, a Nimmo, a Pete, a McNeil, and a Starling, as like all guys who are going to be worth about four wins above replacement this year. Like Then you just need to supplement them in, fill the cracks in. The Mets did fill the cracks in. Definitely, definitely. And of course, we got the biggest trade deadline acquisition of them all, James. You know who that's going to be. Yeah, of course, uh, Jacob Degrom. Yeah, of course. It's a be- Tell me another team that picked up a better pitcher at the deadline than the Mets with Jacob Degrom. You can't name one. <laughs> can't name one. Uh, of course, if you're watching the YouTube video with this, I'm squirming because I know I know I just wound like that's a Wilpon uh, Wilpon talk. Yeah, I, I wound a hundred people up there, but I just it was it was low hanging fruit. I had to take it. No, that's funny. That was enough by the trade deadline. If you guys have any other questions about it, don't hesitate to tweet at us. Or just you could say you're mad in our comments just as long as you give a five-star rating and review. You can literally say anything in those comments. I truthfully don't care. But again, tweet us if you got questions. I have less followers than Mark, so I'm usually much better at answering. But I'm tweet really, us both. Who cares? I'm really bad at answering. And yeah. the, the only time, Hollywood Mark. The, the only time you get me is when, like, I kind of forget. And I look at my replies. I'm like, oh, you, you, hit, a, you hit a nerve. You struck a nerve with me. You got me. I'm completely in. But luckily, I've been getting a little bit better at that for my own sake. Let's move on to the games. Let's do it. Let's talk about game one, because along with Max Scherzer being on the mound in the first game of the series, we now also know that this was the last game that Juan Soto played as a Washington National, which is also funny because Juan Soto got four plate appearances in this game, which is exactly what James predicted in the last estimate. So I literally didn't even have a chance to win this no. one because James it didn't hit give right, you a second to breathe. Literally hit it right on the head, and of course he gets traded the next day. And it's like, why was he even playing? What if he got hurt? What are you doing? Also, if he played in that game, I still would have won because <laughs> you you went under. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying like, if if you're gonna trade him the next day, you don't play, don't risk that. What are you doing, Washington? Think I'm gonna be wearing a tuxedo in April. It was also really nice that this was Juan Soto's last game as a national, and we saw like one of the better games he's, <laughs> I think, ever played against the Mets. Juan Soto had four plate appearances, like Mark said, like I very correctly predicted, up 5-0 in the estimate. He hit a home run, he had three walks, and one outfield assist at home plate, and like an absolute dime to get a huff, a chugging Tomas Nido around third. And you know what? Give it, clap it up for Juan Soto. Congratulations. Good game. Your team still lost because we had Mad Max on the mound. The boys were swinging the bat. Scherzer wasn't necessarily at his sharpest, but he's still... That's just how good he is. He doesn't even need to be that sharp. 
Yeah, he wound up at the end of it with six after uh, coming out in the seventh inning, six and two thirds innings, two earned runs, three runs after a weird play in the first that gave one up, five strikeouts, two walks. Weirdly, threw a lot of changeups. Most often, he threw changeups since May eighth. Second most often he threw him in any start this year. And only got one whiff and zero called strikes and, like, no ground balls. I figured maybe he was using the changeup. It was a way to kind of goat some ground balls, but it wasn't. Yeah. Also threw a lot of colors. So, like, I kind of see that in the second lowest slider percentage of the year and see that and think maybe he was just like, I'm going to pitch the contact today, get get the boys some innings here, which is which is cool. I don't know. It's still effective. I trust anything that Max Scherzer does. Also, I don't know if you caught <laughs> who would, it. Who would, be, uh, who would we be to tell Max Scherzer how to pitch? <laughs> I wouldn't even, wouldn't ever even think about it. I'm just seeing what he's doing, and I'm telling you guys. Yes, this. yes. I'm not, like, I don't analyze Max Scherzer. I just like convey Max Scherzer. I describe I, the, Max Scherzer. The last thing I would ever want to do is get on Max Scherzer's bad side and, and tell him that I know more than you, Max. That guy is one of the greatest pitchers we've seen in our lifetime, and uh, he, could, he could tell me to go jump off a bridge and say how high. <laughs> oh, the bridge! Or you're yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the bridge. It's the third bridge joke already. We're gonna kill the bridge jokes. This, was, there was one moment though in this game. I don't remember if it was between the fifth and the sixth or the sixth and the seventh, where Scherzer was talking to Hef, and they were like getting animated. Not that anyone was getting like mad, but there was definitely like there was like there was an exchange of opinions, and it was interesting to see these guys both like speak to each other in a way that was like, all right, this is these are two these are two minds, are two ball players like talking. And, and you gotta. And, respect that Max Scherzer talks to himself like that so would you would yeah. you talk if would you talk to yourself like you talk to oh, him no, of course he would it's like people with aggressive dogs like no it just means he loves you yeah I think that's he really, just he really likes you that's why he's on top of you yeah it's a ter- it's endearment that's what he's doing yeah Max also now after this start is just three wins shy of 200 and he's gonna make two starts on the upcoming homestand so everyone get out to see Max Scherzer if you got a chance because he's a freak Especially on that so, Friday night one against the Braves, which is going to be the blackout, first official blackout. That's going to be fun. We'll talk that, about no, that later. We're talking about Scherzer starts right now. Yeah, yeah. He's, no. he's not going to. He's pitching Saturday. Oh, he's pitching Saturday? For I thought sure, they were yeah. lining him up to pitch Friday for the for the shirt. It's four days? you got to pitch on four days rest. I don't care yeah, about no, I know. Yeah, I know that He's pitching now. Saturday. And then, um, so that could, I mean, just, you could put him in line to see some pitchers 200 victory at some point this summer. So keep an eye on that. Nice. Yeah, Scherzer's been great. And, I mean, really at the end of the day, after the Mets got down in the beginning, Rallied right back, which is Do so nice. Absolutely. McNeil, Nilo, Marte, the couple hits. Pete had a ridiculously low lying home run. Tied lowest launch angle in any home run for Pete's career at 17 degrees. And one of only 14 home runs his entire season, not inside the park home runs, in Major League Baseball to be hit with a 17-degree launch angle or lower. Dude absolutely loves hitting in Nats Park. And I know you've told, so us, much. Before, you've told us before it's a sneaky good hitter's park, but it feels like Pete Alonso turns it on there and always plays well. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Definitely. But the biggest home run of the night, the call of the night, actually have to give to Francisco Lindor, who got payback on Steve Ciszek for hitting him in the face back in April. Right after he hit Starling Marte, too. Bench, Bench is clear at this moment. This was a very chippy early season series between the Mets and Nationals for some reason. And Gary Cohen, as the ball left the yard, Francisco Lindor rounded first base. He screamed, exclaimed, take that. (laughs) 
which was just I couldn't even believe he's let that out. There's very few times that Gary shows that kind of emotion. That was a personal take. That that was like take that Steve Ciszek, which is so funny because I don't even think he meant to hit Francisco Lindor on purpose. But I love it. I love that Gary was feeling the energy with the boys and. It's nice to see Francisco Lindor get payback. And like I said, especially right after Marte got hit in that same inning and Buck Buck got to the top of the stairs. He got out, talked to Starling because Starling was like kind of figuring it out, seeing how he was feeling. And you could see Buck murmuring like this expletive, expletive, expletive. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. The Mets also got hit, what, like four or five, four times in this series? Three times? Yeah, the Nationals. I, mean, I the think Daniel Martinez is just a little bit of a, you know. He's a little bit of, he stirs the pot a little bit, I think. He's yeah, trying he's to get a, any sort of excitement out of that Nationals team, knowing that their best player in franchise history was Dead Man Walking. He's a habitual line stepper. Yeah, oh, for sure. That big line stepper. And also, Shadow Brand Nimmo, he had four hits in this game, three hard hit balls. He's been great. And also, Johnny Stats giving us a stat as we end this game one uh, review here. Pete. Over an 1,100 career OPS in Nationals Park. That's that. man. That's that's so good that if he was on the Nationals, they would trade him or at least let him walk. Oh, in free agency. after two or three years, they'd love to trade him. They for, would for a, a medium return. Yeah, for a chunk of prospects that could that would probably never be as good as the guy you just traded away. I mean, if we'll do if we'll do it like in a moment here. Yeah. C.J. Abrams is an elite prospect, but his power is in question after his first stint in the major leagues. He doesn't strike out very much, but he also is allergic to walks, kind of similar to Luis Garcia, who, <laughs> yeah. who kind of hit us a little bit this series. McKenzie Gore is good. Like, I'm sure he'll just be a really good pitcher. He has a chance to be really good. Although I would J- keep him as far away from Patrick Corbin as possible. <laughs> don't let them talk. Maybe talk about it. Maybe teach him like the slider or something. Or, I don't know. or maybe be like, don't do what he's doing right now. Patrick Corbin was good. I'm not going to take away Patrick Corbin's career from him. It's just right now he's very bad. Patrick Corbin was good for like two years. He was like the most overrated pitcher that year he got signed. It was cr- I couldn't believe the amount of money that was thrown at him at that time. I got it on tape. Patrick Corbin was the most one of the most unheralded World Series heroes in the history of the game. He like, did pitching, do that. He did do pitching that. in relief in those two games. He was fantastic in that role for the a national team that had bad ballpen still won a World Series. And also James Wood and Robert Hassel are both freak prospects. My guys. Mark loves Robert Hassel. He's an amazing hit tool, very athletic. I don't know if he's athletic enough to stay in center, yeah, but also James Wood is like a a lunatic. So I found out, because James Wood was someone that I've followed for a really long time, because there was a viral clip of him on Twitter. Big Big dude, he's 6'7", and he was playing in a a high school tournament with a wood bat and hit one of the biggest home runs I've ever seen a child. Loudest. He was a child at this time, and he pimped it, and he's got a vicious swing, and he's so tall, and seeing someone do that, I was like, who is this guy? found out information about him. I saw him in the draft. I was like, he should be a first-round pick. Like, there's there's no reason this guy shouldn't be taking the first round. He's got first-round talent. He fell to the Padres later, and I was like, what an incredible pick. He's going to be used in some trade somewhere, someday. And what do you know? They get Juan Soto. Uh, who else they trade? Harlan Susana, who I think is like uh, the top 18, international pitching prospect. 18-year-old with a live arm. Yep. And then, oh, they got Luke Voigt, too, didn't they? Oh, I forgot about Luke Voigt. Yeah. yeah. Which, thank God we missed him. Yeah. yeah, thank God. Although Joey Manessis or whatever that guy's yeah. name is, did get us in game two. Also, though, good for Joey. Ten years in the minor leagues. So it was nice to see him get into the big. I didn't like to see him hit the Mets, but I did like to see that he achieved a dream. Do you think that the Nationals got enough? I mean, this isn't a Nationals podcast, but obviously the Mets were interested in Juan Soto. But it seems like the Nationals were never going to trade him to us because... It also seems like the Met, the Mets didn't have enough for this kind of offer. And it's funny because I don't even think that this is enough for Juan Soto personally. Theoretically, it's not enough, but if it's as much as you're going to get, it's not that bad. The fact they got like one pitcher who could be a frontline starter, at least be a, a three four forever, yeah. that's really good. He'll be good. Abrams has potential, and like his floor is just like kind of like what Ahmed Rosario is doing now. I feel yeah. like in Cleveland, which is someone who'll play fine defense at shortstop. Abrams might end up playing plus defense at shortstop. He's just still baseball young. He's just such a freak athlete. He doesn't really know how to play baseball. Might yet, also play is, center field. 
Yeah, also, he could, he's just a freak athlete. We'll see if the power comes. Then, like, Wooden Hassel, you feel like one might hit. And they both have, like, incredibly high potentials to play. Like, the the return isn't bad. It's just, like, you traded Juan Soto. But if he's not going to take your money, you have no choice. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I guess. I'll give him more money. Give him more. <laughs> I mean, if they, that was up to them. If they didn't give but, him more, I mean... Listen, I mean, even him going to the Padres doesn't doesn't count out the Mets in two or three years when he hits free agency because I don't think the Padres can actually pay him. Like, maybe they could, but if you do, you have a billion dollars tied up to him, Manny Machado, and Fernando Zatis, which those are three really, really good players, and I don't think they aren't worth it. I just don't know if a or owner can really afford to fork out a billion dollars to three guys. Yeah, and also, I mean, they should. Those are three great they, guys to oh, do it. But for also sure. just to... Just briefly before we move on from this, just to quell Mets fans' fears, just to compare all of those trade chips with the Mets could have offered, I say Abrams, you might disagree with this, but he still probably covers Alvarez in value just because he plays shortstop. Probably. Just like, eh, and I, it's like, it's, it's probably very close. It's probably thin, but I'm sure a team would probably, who just traded for a catcher last year, if, if they're looking at it from like a micro sense, would be like, I'd rather get the shortstop with elite defense who might have a high potential bat than the catcher who does, we don't know if he could ever play defense there, and we really have a catcher who we like for the future. And then you look at Mackenzie Gore, the Mets would have offered Peterson or Miguel. Gore yeah. is significantly better than each of them. Then at you least ceiling-wise. Yeah, you look at Wood and Hassel, and that would have been and Beatty, or, Beatty and Mauricio or Ramirez, and yeah. I think those two guys pretty easily cover those guys the Mets could have offered. I agree, yeah. So they just they just have more. Other teams have more. That's that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, glad that Juan Soto is out of the division, though. We only yeah, now have fine. to play him when it's the Padres. But boy, oh boy, do I want to avoid the Padres at all costs. And we'll talk about that before this Braves series. We got to talk about the second game of this series because the boys went to DC for this one. Shout out Amtrak. Shout out Jolly Olive, bringing us on a wonderful trip down to DC. We'll also, shout out the booker of this trip because they accidentally got me a first-class ticket. Yeah, what while the hell? everyone else was in business class. So I was sitting in first class, bigger seat, more comfortable seat, free food, free beverages. I was crushing high noons, doing like my regular work day like, on the train. I was having a blast. Capitalist James over here. He gets a job. He's riding first class. I had a margarita and I sell a train. This guy rode across the country during COVID in the back of a truck, in a, in a car basically, and just camped out in, in the wilderness. And now he's riding first class of a, of a high-speed train to Washington, D.C. from New York. It's the duality of man. I can still do both. <laughs> I'm happy so, about it. But... It was a great trip. We were very nervous at first that we were going to miss the first pitch of this game. Sweating. I okay. We, wait, we cut it. We cut it pretty close. How about how about the fact that both of us cut it close just getting there on time? Because it was the train was leaving at three o'clock, and those things pretty much leave on time. Like once they get there, they they kind of take off. So we were like, oh my god, I, I was taking an Uber, I was taking a train, I was taking a subway, I was flying all over the place. I sprinted half a mile. I haven't done that in I don't know. 15 years probably i don't know the last time i've sprinted half a mile with a backpack on through new york city traffic just to find out wait mark you brought you brought a backpack to dc yeah what'd you bring in the backpack my computer my camera my microphone uh, a lot of things but i did forget one really important thing to pack guys mark took an overnight trip and didn't bring any clothes completely forgot to pack underwear he didn't pack one piece of clothing it was i don't like i was in such i was worried about missing it and i just i knew i forgot something when i left my apartment it just turned out to be the thing that is something like really important which is a change of clothes i wore a max shirt or not a max jersey pete alonzo black mets jersey for about 24 hours straight (laughs) Yeah, it's so literally disgusting. But, but anyway, we sprinted there, and it was late. So it was all for nothing. Still shout out to Amtrak for the hookup. We also had great seats down at the Terra Club in Washington. We had yeah. 
food and drinks, halibut. The Nationals were serving halibut. The Nationals wouldn't, wouldn't pay Juan Soto, and they were serving halibut to well, the fans. That's where all that Juan Soto money just went. They're like, well, we just traded a guy that we were going to give half halibut, a yeah. billion dollars to. We had Chateaubriand, too, which I think is fancy meat. Like Between that, the pork loin, the halibut, they had some good— I think they, they had, had duck. They, they had, had duck. They did have duck. Duck all around. Ratatouille. Yeah. Ratatouille. Like, it was a very, very good spread for Nationals Park I'm, I've, I don't like. But this behind home plate, worth it. A hundred and free beer. That was good. Yeah, and Celsius. But we're just we're just beating around the bush here because the whole story of this night was Jacob Degrom's return to the mound. It was literally like it was a surreal moment. Well, it Especially was. It was really cool because where we were sitting, we were literally right behind the Mets on deck circle. So right next to the dugout. And you see him walk out and run out, and it's all Mets fans in this section. It was dominated by Mets fans over here. And all Mets fans are on their feet. And like when he threw his first warm up pitch, there was a cheer. I don't know if a anyone's cheer. ever cheered a warm-up pitch before. Yeah, it was just it was. I don't. I don't know. Apparently, again, I've said this every single time we talk about the Grom in this show. I just I had to see it to believe it. And like seeing it, I was like, oh, it's really happening. It felt like it felt last year for a little while. It did. It was really cool to see him pumping 102. I think he threw a 95 mile an hour slider. Like he was, like you said, you have to see it to believe it. And it was a really cool moment because it has been so long since we've seen Jacob Degrom pitch in a major league baseball game. So to be there. Just by sheer coincidence, the date that we picked ends up being Jacob deGrom's first start of the year. Really, really cool. Wish the outcome would have been better. Not necessarily for Jake. Jake did great, but I wish the Mets would have played better. Jake Jake, Jake did do great. It was the uh, he averaged ninety nine point seven miles an hour in his fastball over the five innings he threw on Tuesday. Only Hunter Green has had a higher average velocity to start this year. Which I mean, we talked about Hunter Green in the show. He's a freak of nature, and it was very easy for deGrom early. Just four strikeouts in the first two innings, only two balls in play, both on the ground. One did get down the line, but Starling Marte had a great outfield assist. Sick throw. His seventh of the year to do that. He threw it. He just, like, leaned against the fence because he knew it immediately and just, like, he was cool about it. Then after that, though, DeGrom did – it was more mortal than it was early. He had nine whiffs on his first 19 swings in the first two innings, then only four on 21 swings in the next three. The ball was being put in play. He did give up a run. He lost like two ticks, so he went down from like 101 to 98, 99. Slider lost a few miles an hour too, but just you can't help but be like ridiculously, ridiculously uh, excited about this. I think it was interesting too. Later in the game, we saw him use the changeup and curveball a lot more than we've seen him use it in the past, where he's basically been a two pitch pitcher for the last few years. Yeah, he threw each of those a few times. Second time around the order, especially he threw in the Nelson Cruz a changeup. I didn't even notice the curveballs when we were there. Just because I think we were just having so much fun, just like freak, freaking out a little bit. Yeah, we were having and, a good um, time. Yeah, and I saw the curveballs on Savant, and I was like, huh, weird. And I looked back to the curveballs like in the search function. They were kind of curvyish. They were kind of slurvyish, but curvyish, so I guess they were a little slower in the slider. So I guess it was. And Luis Garcia did get a hold of one who so he's got a good little bat. just refuses to take a walk. Yeah. Got the Nationals up one nothing, But this does... I almost didn't even care so much about the results past the fact that the stuff was good and he looked good. He looked strong. He looked healthy. It was an encouraging sign moving forward in this Mets season for what is the biggest trade deadline or acquisition of any team in Major League Baseball. Mets picking well, up I Jacob mean, DeGrom. I think Juan Soto is objectively a big Oh, yeah. I forgot about Juan Soto. Yeah, well, I think I'll give it to him. Yeah, but he's not on our team, so I'm biased. I'm picking Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> I also, before you say one more thing, I want to uh, shout out the Mets fans that we met at the game as well. After Jacob DeGrom went out, I was like, hey, come meet us at this section at the end of the fifth inning. Met a bunch of Mets fans, a bunch of listeners. Shout out to you guys. Appreciate you. Had a great time in Washington. Thank you. Very sorry we forgot the stickers. We both, in our haste, forgot stickers. I felt kind of bad about that. Big fumbled the bag. I forgot clothes. I mean, you think I'm going to bring stickers? (laughs) 
the worst part is I found stickers in a compartment in my backpack. I didn't even realize were there. Like, no, like I got home today. It's a no. brand new. It's a new backpack. I only got it a week ago, and I found them. I was like, "Oh, dad, <laughs> you cursed again!" <laughs> All right, one curse an episode. One curse an episode is not that bad. But the most comforting thing about this Jacob Degrom start was definitely the fact that the Mets' offense was in peak Degrom form. Gary or Howie, I forgot who was listening to the game and who said this, seemed to catch Degrom say something to Taiwan Walker on Sunday along the lines of, "Oh." They never scored nine runs for me, <laughs> which is funny that he has a sense of humor about it. Also, from like reading a lot of the articles that went out about Degrom this week, seeing that he's like a funny, he's like a dry humor, ordinary funny guy in the clubhouse. So, a comment like that's even funnier to a guy yeah. like Taiwan Walker. But just of course, the Mets couldn't couldn't do anything. It's Corey Abbott, and it was funny too because they had a really good first inning. They made him work a lot. They know, had guys on base, pitches. yeah, and it was like especially with Degrom and. There were a ton of Mets fans in D.C. I won't say they outnumbered Nationals fans, but there was at least like 30%, I think, of the people there were at least Mets fans. I was shocked how many people were there, especially after trading the best player in your franchise's history. You, I was... Okay, let's ask you this, James. How many people in the stadium do you think didn't know Juan Soto was traded? They just thought he was out for the day. 25%? Yeah, I was thinking around 30 But also, I think that's probably the same amount of people who don't even know anybody in the team. It's just like <laughs> it's DC a good point. transplants yeah. who are just like, after work, like, let's go to the ballpark. It's $6 to get in. Well, speaking of DC transplants, we, and just the Washington Nationals fans, not to really, you know, take shots at them too much, but it is fun because, of course, they leave the games early because the trains don't run late. But we heard their chant after they scored a run, which I had never heard in my life before, and it was jarring. Uh, James, you're a Jets fan. Maybe you can help me out with this one here and tell them. Yeah, every time the Nats score a run, for some reason, they go N-A-T-S, Nats, woo, kind of combining J-E-T-S and what the seven line does for the Mets. It's really, really strange. It was, like, I, I was taken aback. I was like, first off, you guys are chanting. You know what just happened today, right? You tr- <laughs> they straight away Josh Bell, too. We didn't even mention that they got rid of him as well. Like, yeah. Oddly, not as eerie of a ballpark environment as I could imagine after one of the best young players in the history of the game got traded. I felt, and also that I guess that's just because there probably aren't that many real Nationals fans in the yeah. world because like relatively a new team and it's relatively a city of a lot of people who move from other places to well, come. Like we were sitting next to these kids who were both wearing Nationals things, both seem to like baseball very much. I'm like, oh, how do you guys feel about so? The kid leans into me and goes, I'm, I'm from Milwaukee. I'm a Brewers fan. Well, and we met the people up top, too, that were Yankees fans. We met a yeah. couple Yankees fans. We met a couple Phillies couple. guys, one of them who yeah. was teammates with second-round pick by the Mets, Nick Morabito, which is kind of cool. He, was, he had great things to say about that kid, which was awesome. But, yeah, uh, it was it was a weird feeling. You want to know where the real Nats fans were? They were at home because they were like, I'm not watching Yeah, this. I'm not going to this game today. <laughs> that being said, it would have been one of the good games for them to go to because obviously the Mets end up losing this game. Like after you face Jacob deGrom and then go to Steven Degosik and Yuan Lopez, no disrespect to them, but it's like playing MLB The Show on, Legendary, uh, on Legend and then just all of a sudden putting it to rookie. Like it's just not the same. Yeah, I'd love to like see a statistical analysis of like the relievers immediately after Jacob Degrom for the course of his career how they fare because the Nationals looked like they were just taking batting practice. They hit like what three or four home runs after they scored that first run. Francisco Lindor tied this game with a home run in I believe it was the top of the sixth or I the think fifth, so, yeah. whenever. And so I was like, "All right, we're feeling good. Let's get this win now. All right, vibes are great." And then the Nationals just teed off, and it's just like, "Ah, oh, crap!" Like if. All the all the Monday morning quarterbacks are freaking out about the Mets' lack of bullpen help. And then we had a couple rallies late, just couldn't really get that big hit. I, Luis Guillorme got picked off second base in a really weird play when the ball was hit like yeah. basically right over his head, and he just took a secondary lead, and he couldn't really get back to the bag. But 
Yeah, it was weird. It was just bizarre that this game broke a, a seven-game win streak, and Mets fans were acting like we had we we had lost like fourteen in a row. Well, this team stinks, don't you know that, James? Did you see Terrible. their trade deadline? They didn't. They got worse, don't you know? Don't you understand? They traded JD Davis for Darren Ruff. Do you have a clue? We lost Colin Alderman. Ah, come on, man. I I can't believe that the Mets did this. Can you believe that their trade deadline was only slightly good? Ugh, awful. This this loss though, we are making jokes. It was relatively speaking to the single season historically bad because the Mets were the biggest favorites all year in a regular season baseball game that's and a, did find a way to lose it. That's a curse though. That's that's the biggest jinx I've ever heard. Yeah, and also I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people out there were were uh, pretty jacked up for this DeGrom start and probably made some bets. You didn't want to bet in the Mets winning because the odds are really bad. You have to lay down you know $3 to make one, so you might as well bet on Jacob DeGrom's over in strikeouts. Of course Jacob DeGrom's going to get more than six strikeouts. There's no way he doesn't do that. He had he had six strikeouts and about 58 pitches through yeah. five innings, of course. And then he doesn't come back out for the sixth inning, and all the Mets fans lose that by half a strikeout. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a tough day to be a Mets fan in terms of the uh, the wagers. I would assume just because they probably didn't fall your way. And really, at the end of the day, Mets just lost this game. Like it's it stinks to lose because the Nationals are bad. They're a bad baseball team, especially without Juan Soto and Josh Bell. Almost as bad as it gets. This this entire game, the Mets faced maybe four major leaguers combined between the pitchers and the hitters. Like Luis Garcia, good ball player. I'm I'm yeah. in on this guy's swing. He's got a good swing. Yeah. We saw him hit all series. I didn't know about him really. No, yeah. Victor Robles also seems to have been sparked now that he doesn't have to deal with uh, the the guy who stole all of his talent once so though anymore. He was hitting leadoff and actually hitting the ball, and getting on base, playing great center field. Cesar Hernandez, consummate pro. I'll say it before. I'll say it again. Uh, Nelson Cruz is still fine. He's not really good anymore, but he's still respectable. Yeah. Kyle Finnegan's a fine reliever. It's, it is what it is. You lose games. Yeah. It's a 162 it's game, it's game season. It's a game two curse. This is what we do. This is what we do all year. And we kind of forgot about the game two curse because we got we got back to back sweeps against the Yankees and the Marlins, and we won game one in this series. So you forget that game two all-star is all star break. Yeah, all star break. Game two has been a little bit, bit of a problem this year. It is what it is. The Mets still end up winning this series though because of course we go into game three and it was just it was really nice and easy. This is this is what everyone was just. Di- if the Mets lost game three, like they lost game yes. two, no one cares. No one cares. But because yeah. of on top of the trade deadline and on top of seeing the Phillies make a trade and on top of Rizal Iglesias sneaking into the Braves, plus Jacob deGrom start, plus not hitting for him, so it's the old Mets, it was the perfect storm. But if they lost game three, no one cares. I also just want to put my hand up. That Rizal Iglesias trade is a little bit on me. Mets oh, you're going to put this out know. there? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I put it on our Instagram story already. I might as well just say it. You, uh, we talk about my prolific jinxing powers on this show. Mark makes fun of me all the time in our, in our private lives for it. And right after the trade deadline ended, it was like 6.08. We were still on the train. I was pulling into D.C. I was, I was, I was a couple high noons in a, in a free uh, first-class margarita deep. And I was like, oh, my, like, this really isn't that bad. Like, the Dodgers did nothing. The Braves basically did nothing. Like, they replaced Adam Duvall, Robbie Grossman, and pulled Jake Odorizzi. Like, we were going to get scared about that. And, and then within not seconds. Even, not even 30 seconds later, we get the update. The Braves just acquired Russell Iglesias, a really good reliever to add to their already very good bullpen. I was like, all right, well, I, I, that was my fault. The hand hand up. up. That's on That's on James. But that's it. I'll, next, I'll play better next time, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Game three, Mets, Mets were good. They were good. Didn't trail for a second. Didn't trail for a second. Pete, who has a, almost a 1,300 OPS since the All-Star break, blazing hot. Got pretty good. average up tw- 25 points like since the All-Star break, basically. OPS clearing 900. In. Yeah, he had a strange home run of Anibal Sanchez. I think it was one on the pat- patented Anibal Sanchez changeup where he just like went down and got it, just like touched it with his barrel, no follow through one hand, and just soared out of center field. Yeah, I mean, sneaky good ballpark to hit home runs in. 
like I've been saying it. And also, gotta shout out Francisco Lindor because the at bat before this Pete home run, he grinded out a nine pitch walk. Very, very good at bat. He's also just ridiculously locked in right now. As this offense goes, it's pretty obvious watching him all year. Like, it's when these guys at the top are hot. And for two weeks, while Lindor and Pete have been hitting the snot out of the ball, like, thought we're going to score a lot of runs. And that has ten, game hit, 10 game hit streak for Francisco Lindor as well. Second 10 game hit streak of the year. Well, he's bad, though. He's terrible. He's awful. Wow, who would pay him that money? Ah, Francisco Lindor. Love that, dude. He's so good. And then we got to talk about the big fellow who we've come up with a new nickname for Daniel Vogelback. Beef. Beef. We're calling him Beef because we saw him at the game yesterday and we're like, so I heard someone yell roast beef. And I was like, I think you just cut it down to beef because like the dude, he's a beefy boy. And the Grand Slam was so awesome today. Like that was the first home run for Daniel Vogelback as a Met and it felt great. It felt literally incredible <laughs> i just I, I can't even imagine how good this guy has been since he came to the mets it's been he they mets have one loss since they acquired him first of all he has a home run two doubles four ribbies 500 on base percentage over 300 batting average small sample doesn't matter but i'm gonna say it like every time he comes to the plate i'm like very excited really 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 good at bats every single time and you know what he doesn't have to face lefties either now because we have darren ruff who will come in and have power and take really really good at bats as well we got some cool Grand Slam stats in here from John. This uh, Grand Slam by Vogelback was the fourth Mets Grand Slam this season. All of them have come against the National League East, which I thought was pretty fun. That's funny. The Mets have a very good record so far this season against National League East teams, 33-13. and 13. Not going to make any definitive statements, just saying what has already happened. It's a fact. Right? 33-13 and 13 this year versus National League East. Only had 39 wins versus Division All of last year. We're still playing divisional games left, so it's cool. And Vogelback is the 11th player in Mets history whose first home run with the team was a grand slam. We heard some great names on the broadcast today from Gary. I know John was going to quiz us on them, so he was a little upset that Gary spoiled the fun. But you got some names like Omir Santos, Taylor Teagarden, which those are two deep cuts for Mets fans if you're talking about just random catchers that ran through this organization at one point. Also have Jose Reyes was on that list. Um, who else on that list? Uh, there was there was a bunch of names. There was 11 guys, I mean, so. Yeah, Adrian Gonzalez was one of them. Thank Adrian you, John, Gonzalez, for helping yes, us out the there. recent one. And then the, this whole game was tied together with Chris Bassett having another just fantastic start. This yep. guy has been the stay, absolute, like, symbol of consistency so far with the Mets. Also, everyone, if you haven't listened to it yet, check out our bonus episode we put out last weekend. Interview with Chris Bassett and Tommy Hunter. Also put out a banger TikTok, Chris Bassett. Mark mentioned on top of the show today talking about if the if he was an old basketball player, if, if he was to field a starting five from the Mets roster, who would he be? And he had some pretty funny answers. Wait, we should answer that question, I feel like, too, ourselves. Who we think the Mets starting five basketball? Yeah, who would, who would your starting five of the Mets be for basketball? Oh. I've never seen any of them play basketball. I mean, probably Bassett, McGill, Taiwan, McNeil, Scherzer. Okay, I, I think a sneaky one in there. I think Adovino might be a good player. He's just like casually. Adovino probably is nice, yeah. And he's, he's very a New, long. New York kid, grew up in New York. You know he shot yeah. some hoops in his lifetime. He'd, probably, he'd be like a great modern basketball player because he has such incredible length. Um, like it's even better than his height. Just can really clog up a lane. Pete would be like Charles Barkley, I think. I think he would just be a beast on the boards. Pete, Pete, Pete's the exact, like Pete's the meme where it's like, this is when the, fo- the football players come and play pickup. <laughs> he would just like put his head down, like use his elbows, like move everything around, just like take a shot that would like clank off the top of the backboard in the back of the rim and go like forty feet high. And he'll he'll run back hard and be like, all right, all right, <laughs> yeah, that, I'll, I'll get the next one. I'll get the next one. Yeah, McNeil, sneaky good basketball players. In case you guys didn't know, Trevor May probably would also be a good basketball player. Another large yeah, human man, being. I would just I would like to see. You know, now we're almost like we should see get two starting fives going. I want to watch the Mets play pickup. Well. 
I don't know if I want off to watch season. it. Yeah. Off season. Well, maybe I, never, honestly. I would I would theoretically like to see a computer-like reimagination of the Mets playing pickup. Yeah, put them in uh, NBA 2K and let's see what they yeah, look we, like. We should just make the Mets roster in 2K. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sim the game. Chris Bassett told us Max Scherzer's Draymond Green, so we have a perfect replica of what we can do there for his stats. Exactly. Now, we're going to talk about Bassett, the pitcher, rather than the point guard. Seven innings, nowhere in runs, six hits that were very scattered. None of these hits seemed really dangerous in any no. type of way. Just one walk, four strikeouts, only two hard-hit balls off Bassett by the Nationals this whole game. His breaking ball command was very much back. Keith was talking about it after Bassett lost it for a few starts. Very nice to see him find it again. 11 called strikes plus whiffs on his slider and curveball in this one. After Again, he, he had it going for a while, lost him for a few starts, found it again. Love to see Bassett tinkering and finding success with that. And also this Nationals AAA lineup just really could not even figure out Bassett's very, very, very precise sinker. Ten called strikes on it and so many just lazy balls in play. Very nice game. Does Chris Bassett throw a cutter? He, I believe so. Because there right was, I, I thought I saw he did, he a 90. Did, he 17 colors today. Five whiffs on it. Okay, because I was going to say. Most whiff pitch. I thought I saw a 92 mile an hour slider, but I just know that wouldn't make sense for how his slider runs. His slider and cutter actually were up a tick today, or I guess yesterday when you guys listened to it. It's up a tick on Wednesday from their yearly velocity. Okay. That cutter on the year has averaged 89. He got it up to 90 with one maxing out 92.4. Yeah, I mean, it's he's, he's such a fun pitcher. He's so good. He really is so just so great in this rotation, especially now behind DeGrom and Scherzer. Yep, love it. Yeah, also, I was talking about that sinker. We saw a cool stat on Twitter. I forgot who I saw it, so feel bad not shouting somebody out. But Bassett had the highest called strike plus whiff uh, percentage in all of base, on his sinker in all of baseball. I do remember. You showed me that on the train. Uh, you also, yeah. you got to start writing these names down. It's this. I, I, I talk I about playing high school I baseball. I see them and internalize the stats, but I just don't give people credit. Yeah. Let's see it right now. I talk about playing high school baseball. Your thing is saying, I saw this. I want to give you credit. I don't remember. I feel bad for not giving credit <laughs> every single Let's time. See. I'm going to do a Twitter scroll while you talk about the next thing and see if I can find well, it briefly. Yeah, I got to talk about my boy Jeff McNeil, friend of the podcast. Uh, shout to Jeff. He's been scalding hot since they've went on the road. Of course, it's because he gets a little bit of sleep with the newborn baby. I'm sure it's helping to get... Even six hours of sleep's got to be an improvement for what he had. But second career through extra base hit game, smacking doubles all over the field today. Jeff Jeff has been just so hot. He's been so good. Such an important part of this lineup really helps move the entire lineup around. And we also got to see Trevor May get back. But you found it? Got the at. John Anderson at John PGH. He's a really, really good fantasy uh, analyst. He just he just spits stats all day. He has his own models for pitching and hitting. They're actually very good. I've used them to play a lot. There you He's go. Very good follow to the John. PGH. Now, give me some Trevor May info, because Trevor May was back for the first time since his injury, which, and also, wait, real quick before you go into it, I heard him talk to the press or the reporters before the game or after the game yesterday, before he made his appearance, and he was talking about his IL stint, and he said basically at the beginning of the year, his arm had been bothering him, but it was like a day-to-day thing, and he's like, and it was really hard to focus on actually pitching when in the back of my mind, I was hoping my arm was going to be okay enough to actually perform. So he was talking about like the IL stint was more of like for him to get back and be healthy. There wasn't actually like necessarily anything particularly wrong, but he was like mentally, physically, it was just kind of a coin flip and it wasn't really worth trying to go out there every day and not have it. For sure. And it was very nice seeing him back on the mound as his Mets bullpen needs, just needs another, need another higher leverage reliever you could trust. He, I believe, will be that guy. His velo was down a tick, but it's his first major league outing in a while. Yeah. Something I just caught me incredibly off guard was that he just threw a splitter for half his pitches today. I don't even remember him throwing very many splitters ever, and I look back at it. This was the first year he ever actually debuted the pitch, hmm. and he was throwing it like between like 10 and 25% of the time in his outings 
early in this year before he went down. Feels so like cool a year ago. S- yeah. Yeah, cool. I just, I just, that's something I forgot. I mean, we were both living in different apartments. I was like, life was very, we weren't, we weren't with the Mets. No. Like, everything was really different in April and May. But very cool to see him just like have a new weapon to go along with his very good fastball and slider. So cool to see that if he can actually have a third pitch, like what, where his ceiling could be. Seeing what the splitter's done for Taiwan. I'm interested to see what it can do for Trevor May. The Michael Gibbons disaster. It is what it is. Don't really even want to talk about it. We said it already. Yeah, who cares? Mets won this game. First time you. First time he allowed an earned run since June 14th. Yeah, that's all you need to know. Mets win this game, and it really does lead us into the Big Braves preview. But before that, you guys know we have a couple things to go over here. We got the big three, and we got the estimate. So we're going to go ahead and get the estimate going here. We're going to bring in Johnny Stats. What's up there, John? How you doing? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, guys? First, first and foremost, if you're starting a starting five on the Mets and Brandon Nimmo and his hustle and his tenacity <laughs> are not involved, like the Tayshon Bra- the Mets. Brandon Nimmo would be incredible at taking charges. I have no doubt in my mind. He's probably have great like rotation too. It's great footwork, yeah. lateral movement. He he can't see the ball. As Clyde says he'd put up the uh, was it Tony Snell? The Tony Snell numbers where it's like zero 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 zero, <laughs> but forty minutes played. <laughs> He's in every play. Yes. Uh, active hands. That'd be yeah, that's a good one. I missed him. I also just assume, I assume that he's like basically never played basketball in his life though. Why? Because he's from like Wyoming or wherever he's from? Yeah. Who? You know how hard it is to gather 10 people in Wyoming? He didn't even play high school baseball. So I, mean, I know. You think he played basketball? <laughs> Come on. It's probably unlikely. Uh, but, like, here you go. I have an idea of a way we could find this out. Oh, yeah. We could ask him. <laughs> but you always need the glue guy. Um, speaking of a glue guy in needs, Mark, you need a victory in the worst of ways here. Badly. Um, five nothing. Uh, that's and I mentioned this. I mentioned this a few days ago when we did the Juan Soto over under. It was like a, a car crash, and I saw it in slow motion. I knew that you going under, which had worked so well, it's worked like a charm for James every single week. I knew that this time it was going to come back and bite you and. I wanted to stop you, but can't get involved. It didn't even matter though, because James hit it right no, on the just, head. It was just I just I just a bullseye. I hit it perfectly. Hit it bullseye. You, you, can't, you even, can't beat that. Didn't even get a shot. What what am I gonna no. get wrong this time? Tell me, John. You could have gone over or under and lost. Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, there's some math involved with this one. So oh, for this episode, we are going to go with the total amount of hits by the acquisitions. At the deadline for the Mets. So this is Daniel Vogelbach, wow. <laughs> Darren Ruff, and Tyler Naquin hits combined. So oh, take man. a second, calculate it. How calculate. many lefties are we seeing? How many righties are we seeing? That's literally what I'm diving into right now is I'm looking at the Mets schedule. I mean, this, this will be a little bit of our preview too here. I'm just going to name the pitching matchups for the Braves at least. So we got Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, Max Freed, Jake Odorizzi, and Strider. So Freed is a lefty, which means Darren Ruff will get some. Total hits, God, five games two. This is like a. This is so insane. Uh, am I going first or does James go first? No, I first last no, no. James, James has to go first. Uh, okay. Thank God, I can hear his number and be like, "That's crazy." <laughs> total hits, total hits. We got three players, 
We have a lot of righties. Braves have a lefty heavy bullpen. This so I'm it's gonna be an, it's gonna be an all hands on deck series too. So I'm sure we're gonna burn the bench most of these games. A double header also. Oh yeah. yeah. We're probably looking at between these three players. Probably like, I would guess like 27 ish at bats. Okay. 28 ish at bats. I would I wouldn't give I'm gonna give these guys. I'm gonna give these guys a very clean. For my 28 bat to 250 batting average, say seven hits. Oh god, that's a really good number. That's a really good number. I am going to. Man, they walks both of these. All of them walk too. That the oh, hits are so hits are so hard to predict. I'm gonna take the over because I, <laughs> I I you know eight was Dad, eight was the number that I had done. in my mind. Eight was what I had oh, in my man. mind. James said seven. I went. That's really close to what I said. I wish you said four. I wish you said one. <laughs> I would win there. I think, but I'm gonna take the over on that one. Let's see if I can come back here and make it five to one or. I, I, the magic number gets closer for James. Yeah, this is. This, I really like. I really like you going over there. The second I said seven, I, I wish I would have said five, and now I'm really happy I said seven. It's five games. Like you said, they're going to get probably twenty-seven to thirty at bats. Eight, eight for thirty. That's a very, that's a good series for the Mets if those guys go eight for thirty. If if you win, it'll be my guy Naquin just ruining me with like a three hit game. Oh, that's or so. Oh, that that'd be perfect. I Naquin, your guy, that would somehow be your jinx there by underestimating Naquin. The best part is I have a hefty lead, and if those guys combine for eight or more hits, the Mets probably have a pretty pretty good series. It's a win, it's a win win for you. You almost really can't lose. No, oh baby. Well, are we gonna go to the preview now? We're we gonna do the big. Three? Well, let's do the big three too because I, I, well, I enjoy while, the, while we have John here. Yeah, while we have John here, I enjoy the big three. As you guys know, we have a little theme every episode where one of us picks one thing that is part of the big three theme. This one is just gonna be big boys in sports history. Just, just big people, because the Mets have had their fair share. We've got big, sexy Bartolo Colon. We got beef Daniel Vogelback. Is, is there a couple other? I'm forgetting. Mo Vaughn, I think, was around for a bit. Uh, any other particularly large humans that we can remember that played for the Mets? I mean, everyone, everyone's favorite closer, Armando Benitez, was oh, not God. was not slim. Jeez, don't even bring it. That's like one of my like least favorite players ever. Uh, he was oh, Armando Benitez. I got flashbacks there. Yeah. But I mean, we just want to give some credit to Vogelback because he's been an unbelievable addition so far to the Mets. So we're gonna everyone's gonna everyone's gonna name one of their favorite big boys in the history of sports. So I'm gonna throw it over the mark to take it first. Yeah, I'm gonna get started with uh, a bit of a cult classic here, a bit of a deeper cut. But I feel like people when they know his name, they go, "Oh yeah, I remember this guy. He had a little bit of shine in what I think was the '90s." It's gonna be Butterbean, the the little fat boxer that was a heavyweight and he was knocking guys out. I just remember watching him with my dad when I was really young, just like highlights of him or like a, a rerun on MSG or whatever it was. And I was like, who is this dude? He's, he was not an athlete by any means, but he knocked out guys really, really well, almost every single time. And he was in a, a good movie. I don't know if I can say the, the name of the movie because it's technically, I think, a curse word. But you guys know what it is. Johnny Knoxville, he punched him in the face for one of the, uh, one <laughs> of the scenes. And I, Butterbean's the man. Uh, Butterbean's a good one. I forgot Butterbean existed. Butter, I was laughing when you said Butterbean. Butterbean is a cult classic, like I said. And I feel like that fits perfectly with Mets and Mets fans. We love our cult classic players. All right. John, you or me? Take it away, James. All right. I'm going to pick a guy who is a part of New York sports lore, has a Super Bowl ring, had a very specific role in the NFL, but had a sneaky, amazing college career that's not talked about enough. This is Jared Lorenzen. May, mm. may he rest in peace. 
but gone, gone, gone too soon, not forgotten. Jared Lorenzen, I don't think people realize in college that he was like an unbelievably successful quarterback, University of Kentucky, a team that had virtually no success in football until the last like three or four years when Mark Stoops got there. But sophomore year, 19 touchdowns, seven picks. Junior year, 24 touchdowns, five picks. Senior year, 16, eight. Not really prolific numbers for college, but as Jared Lorenzen did, he could always run the ball a little bit, you know, here and there as much as he could every game. Jared Lorenzen got to the Giants, was the QB sneak artist for a few years, just putting that big body through the center of the line. Jared Lorenzen's my big boy pick. Oh, I like it. Hefty lefty, man. Legend. Yeah. I forgot his nickname. I couldn't figure it out. You just grabbed it. Yeah. Thank you. John, what do you got? He played some arena football, too, I believe. Yeah, I definitely think you're totally right about that. <laughs> he, I think he was, he, was, he, was a fo- he was a football guy. Big football guy. X's and O's all day. All right. So, Mark, you kind of stole mine. Uh, or you didn't steal mine. You mentioned mine. And this is maybe chalk because I'm going with a Met who played not too long ago, and his name, it's Mo Vaughn. Um, <laughs> but I have a reason for that, and that's because when Mo Vaughn came here, first of all, we were, I mean, that was awesome. Former MVP, that was yeah. with Almar and Bernitz. Uh, it, it didn't work out, but I, I can assure you that when the Mets when the Mets made these moves, the line at the Mets Clubhouse store at the Menlo Park Mall in Edison, New Jersey <laughs> – out the door with one single game tickets went on sale. There was a lot of excitement. So, um, but what I remember most about Mo Vaughn and his time with the Mets, not that 500 plus foot home run he hit off the scoreboard at Shea. Yeah. It was the sandwich that the Carnegie Deli <laughs> dedicated to Mo called the Molicious. And that's, that's what I said to you guys earlier in the. <laughs> In the episode, I sent a random arbitrary link for all the listeners who have no idea what I'm talking about right now. And I think James opened it up and was like, what is this? We probably cut that part out because it was kind of weird and made no sense. But I was sending a picture just to get ahead of it because I found it online. This thing, I don't know if you guys are looking at it right now. We're going to have it in post-production put in. So you guys at home, all all you who are, are watching can see this thing. The amount of pastrami... And I think corned beef on this thing. I mean, that's that's right up my alley. Like, if, if I were to have one last meal, it's it's that. <laughs> oh, that's an impressive sandwich. You're you're saying it? Yeah, With that's that's quite coleslaw a on it. I mean, so coleslaw on the sandwich is so sneaky. What was that? Coleslaw on the sandwich is so sneaky great. Oh, it's I amazing. Love it's coleslaw the best thing about on Pittsburgh. Sandwich. Vermont, have you guys have Vermonti Bros in Pittsburgh? Absolutely. Yeah, good, good sandwich. Yeah, it goes. Coleslaw and sandwiches, nice bridges in Pittsburgh. That's that's the big. I don't know if the third one is there. Maybe Mario Lemieux is the third one for the Pittsburgh Big Three. But so obviously, when the Mets get Mo, my dad takes me to the Carnegie Deli and we get a malicious. And I think between the two of us, and this is when I was like ten, and I could I could put down some food then. Can still do it. Um, I think we ate like a quarter of it, and that was it between the two of us. It's, it's an um, impressive looking sandwich. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's. Are you guys in Delhi like that? Is it? Oh, of love course, it. yeah. Grow nothing about it. I feel like if you grow up in this area and you don't eat Central Jersey, right? Uh, no, Central you're Jersey. you're you South Jersey. Jersey. You love Delhi. You're South Jersey, John. I won't I won't allow it differently. We're in North Jersey. I North will Jersey. not accept that. You're you're basically I Philadelphia. Also- before we do the Jersey debate again, I want to point out that John said this guy played with the Mets not too long ago. Mo Vaughn's last <laughs> game with the Mets was 2003. <laughs> 19 whole years. Almost 20 years ago. 
not that long ago. It was only twenty years. There's there's Mark a good. Only, Mark and I were only seven years old. There's a good chunk of our listeners that were not born yet. I promise you that. <laughs> oh, big chunk of our listeners. Don't, yeah, I don't know who Mo Vaughn was. Don't even know about Mo Vaughn's nineteen ninety five MVP award. Thirty nine homers, one hundred twenty six RBIs. <laughs> but yeah, back to the delis. That's like that's one of the things that I missed the most when I went to school in South Carolina was there just was not a good deli. Like I would go to Publix to get a sandwich and it was a solid sandwich. But you just you don't get the bread. You don't they don't stack up the meat like you do. They're all about like putting like you know, too much lettuce on the sandwich. Like, ah, give me the meat, give me the cheeses, give me the good stuff. I don't want you to fill it with all this nonsense lettuce. Ugh, get that off a sandwich. You tell me you couldn't get a good pastrami on ride in South Carolina? Not that I know. Columbia, of. No. No. <laughs> Uh, Columbia, South Carolina, you go to cookout. Yeah, go to cookout or some some damn good barbecue. Yeah, also, I know, no, I, I didn't have either of those, and I also did not have delis in Columbus, Ohio. Had all the really good food, but absolutely no delis and no pizza to quench that craving. It's tough. Bloomington right. had one, but that's because Bloomington's probably the elite Big Ten college town, but we don't, we don't, have, to, <laughs> we don't have to get into that. I mean, that yeah, every, everything you give up in athletics, you make up in your town. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we can get into this another time. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, best of luck, Mark. Come on. I need this one, man. You need, I need one this. guy. I, this is the one. Everybody who's listening, root for the boys. Root for beef. How, how about this? Let's, let's throw this in right now. If I shut out Mark for this entire year, he's got to wear a tuxedo every game in April. Oh. But then what happens if you don't, though? If you, <laughs> yeah, you might as well. If you don't shut me out, though, what you have to give up uh, something, too. Absolutely not one. Thing. That's one sided. I do not agree to that. Then, well, I mean, you're losing five nothing. We gotta get some comedy in here. I guess it's fair. Just, if, Keep it if, interesting. If you go down ten nothing, then, then that deal activates. Okay, I'll I'll agree to that. If I go down ten nothing, <laughs> that deal activates. It, it clicks. All right, good stuff. All right, thanks, John. We're gonna go ahead and preview the Atlanta Braves series now here on another long episode, but this, we had a lot to talk about. Degrom, Scherzer, trade we went, deadline. We went, to, went to DC. We went to Washington. That was the first trip. With uh, yeah. since we've been the official podcast of the Mets, can't wait to do more. Hopefully, we will do more soon. A lot of good places that the Mets could send the boys, and we're we're ready to travel at a moment's notice. Uh, not not you. You ready to travel? At a moment's okay, notice. fine. I'm not ready to travel. I'm at ready to travel notice. at a moment's notice. You with your real job over there. Bah. I would need I would need some kind of notice, some actual notice, more than a moment, maybe like 14 moments, but. <laughs> that, I'm not. That was not you. Literally, give me like give me like 45 seconds. I could probably figure it out, but. I can't remember in my in my recent memory the last time the Mets played a series that was this critical. Um, I I feel like the big one is like 2015 Nats with the the Drew Storen meltdown. I feel like that's, that's yeah, it's like the only one. The big David Wright hit, the pump, the fist bump at home, fist bump at home play. I guess like to, uh, Before, the, the Philly series maybe in 2016 when as Drubal hit the walk off home run off of Edibri Ramos and put the hands up. Like that was a really big one too. And the, the 2016 under NCRT series. Yeah. That, that, I punched a hole in my coffee table. Yeah, like there's there's been them, but to be to be frank, the Mets haven't been very good recently. So no. there's not a whole lot of meaningful games when you don't really have a chance to play meaningful games in August typically. No, and this is five games at home in August against your bitter rival, two of the four best teams in the entire National League. I say four now because the freaking Padres got Juan Soto, Josh Hader, and Brandon Drury. And Josh Bell. Frustrating. And Josh Bell, I keep, I keep forgetting Josh Bell. He's really good. <laughs> He's really good. No, this is this is a, this is as big a series as there is. How I mean, how often do you even play five game series? Like, are you kidding me? That's that's the NLDS. This is an NLDS Literally. series. Except you have to play all five games, even even if you lose the first three, you still have two more to play. Like this series, I it's gonna be it's so massively important. There's no other way around. I was trying to think of a better way, but like this really is the most important series they've played all year. 
could be the most important series that they play all year, depending on how the games and the series ends up, you know, playing out. But five games at home, you have to feel somewhat good, though, the way the Mets have been playing baseball, to be fair. I definitely feel somewhat good, especially getting these five games at home. But it's also become so much more critical, kind of alluded to it a minute ago. But now, whoever doesn't win this division is going into a wild card matchup yep. with, like, very, very likely the newly revamped San Diego Padres, who have gotten to this wild card status without Fernando Tatis and without Juan Soto, and even without Manny Machado for two weeks after he sprained his ankle. So now you're going to have all three of those guys. And not that the rest of the Padres lineup is even still that intimidating. Josh Bell's good. Um, Corona Ward's annoying. Grisham has potential, hasn't played up Pro to Pro is playing well. Good. Who? Pro Far is playing well. Pro Far is playing well. It's had like a week so far this week. But now it's just the way the new format works, the bottom wild card team is going up to play against the the third division winner, right? Yeah. The first two have the buys, and the middle two teams in the wild card, the first and second wild cards are playing a three-game series. I don't want to play three-game series with anybody. Nope. Uh, it, no, especially not the Padres right now. They have good pitching, too. So this series is not only important for the NL East implications, but also just a playoff picture because you, you, you don't want to have to play that three-game series at all. No, not, not, not at all. And... We still have nine more games against the Braves after this, and it's I think crazy. almost all. I think I think they're all coming in Atlanta. If I'm mistaken, I have the schedule pulled up right now. I'm gonna check. Yeah, uh, we have a four game series in two weeks in Atlanta, and then the second to last series of the year, three games in Atlanta over the when, I, when we switch them up to October. So things will be a lot different then. But this is, this is this is big right now. Yeah. I I just like you can. I mean, it's not it's not likely because the Braves are a very good team with a lot of very good players. But you can like create some kind of a something of a stranglehold this series with with the few game lead we have on them now and the fact that you have five at home both of your best pitchers are pitching while arguably the Braves well second best pitcher is not I mean you you say that every every pitcher's pitching it's five games <laughs> like no but it's, it's double header so they're gonna uh, guys guys being called up yeah, like yeah. Jacob Derizzi's pitching in this series but it's and Charlie Morton is not David Peterson is starting in this series Chris Bassett is not mm, so okay. it's theoretically yeah. would be every player but it's not because it's, it's double header true 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 I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. So this is it's, this is gonna be big. This is gonna be an absolute dogfight. It's gonna I it's like it's gonna be it's gonna be a war. It's gonna be a war. It's gonna be a battle. I think it's gonna be electric at the stadium. I know we are gonna be there for quite a few games this weekend. A few games. It's it's probably assuming two, maybe three. This is gonna be playoff atmosphere. It's gonna be and it's gonna be playoff atmosphere of Mets fans because is, Atlanta yes. just doesn't travel like that up here. It's it's a little too Yeah, and we had playoff atmosphere last week against the Yankees, but it was like 20-30% Yankee fans yeah. at least. This is gonna be like this is gonna be rock solid. You're gonna, you're gonna see a couple of Braves fans, a couple of John Rocker jerseys. There's gonna be a lot a lot of a lot of national attention is going to be on this series, which is pretty cool to think about. And we do have the first official blackout, which I didn't mention earlier, but uh first official blackout on Friday. They're giving a free t shirt, free black Max Scherzer t shirt, I believe, to every single fan that comes into the stadium. Forty thousand of them. So you you don't really necessarily have to rush to get there, but I would. I would because you know that people are you can't trust people and they'll try and get a couple multiples as they can. Yeah, and I think the, there's something they're giving out on Thursday. I, don't, I think it's just for – it might just be your season ticket holders, but I know it's some kind of bucket hat thing. Okay. I saw some kind of bucket hat promotion. You're, I don't think it's wide. What? You're a big bucket hat guy. I'm not a big bucket hat guy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a medium bucket hat guy. I wear them once in a blue moon. Yeah, and you did have that cursed one last year. I know. But this is, we're fine now. We and fine then I now. think Saturday is also a bobblehead being given away, right? Really? I believe it's like a DeGrom bobblehead or something. Yeah. Big weekend for promotions. I'm sure John will be able to drop us for us. Oh, yeah, it's the DeGrom K counter one. He just put that in there. That's actually a really cool bobblehead. That's a That's sick a cool one. bobblehead. Yeah, you could change the like, strikeouts. Pa pa past that, we ran through the matchups before. It was just talking about 
uh, the estimate. But Kyle Wright against Carrasco tonight, Thursday, if you guys are listening to this, that's going to be a good good matchup, a good pitcher. Yep. Kyle Wright has been really good this year, a guy who's been waiting to break out. Friday night during the blackout, we have Ian Anderson, who has struggled tremendously over the last few months, his entire season. He's just kind of like lost his stuff. I don't know where it is. The Saturday matinee is the one I'm really circling, though, right now because it's Max Scherzer versus Max Freed. Another Max off. Um, Max off, just like we had two weeks ago in Atlanta, which I respect the hell out of Max Free. He's such a good pitcher. We yeah. got Scherzer, too. And then Saturday night, Peterson versus Odorizzi. Then Sunday, 4 o'clock game. I don't know how or why it's a 4 o'clock game. How is it, it doesn't make any sense. How is it not Sunday night baseball? I don't. Even, I think this – I see ESPN Plus on the schedule, so I don't really know. But Jacob DeGrom versus Spencer Schreider. If you guys love gas, if you love velocity, if you love fastballs, if you like really disgusting sliders, this is the one. High-octane five innings from both guys. Yes, intense five innings from each. And we don't know what the condition of these bullpens are going to look like after that. So they, a lot of this this game could be – that could be a real tooth and nail late-inning game, which I kind of feel like a lot of these games will be. Braves are really good. You guys know. We don't have to tell you that. But the Mets are also really good. I mean, the Mets got better, as we know. So did the Braves. This is this is going to be a slog. Like, realistically, 3-2 is – is a very likely outcome for both sides either three, way. 3-2 would be, if the Mets can win the series 3-2, I'm going to celebrate. And anything more is obviously better. But, like, this is a series where the Mets have a chance to make a huge, huge, huge dent in this. Because right now the Braves are, what, three games back in this? Three and a half. Three and a half. So they have a chance to separate themselves a little bit here. I really hope they can. The Mets pitching has been pretty solid all year. Bullpen's been pretty solid. The offense has been swinging the bats better of late. I, I'm really excited for this one. This is This is the one you circle on the calendar all year. This is it. This is as exciting as a regular season series as we're going to get in City Field this entire year. So this is it. This is the one. You guys gotta get to the ballpark, get there early, get loud. This is gonna be this is gonna be intense. We're gonna be there too. So if you see us, come say what's up. We will have stickers, I promise. James, we have a surplus. Yeah. I'm gonna bring as many stickers as I can possibly bring. We'll give them out. Yeah. Don't worry. But uh, I think that's a perfect way for us to wrap up this episode here of the Mets Up Podcast, episode number one fourteen. Thank you guys so much for listening, watching, whatever you do. Make sure you follow us on all our social media at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. YouTube videos on the New York Mets YouTube channel. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, drop us a rating, drop us a review. It really does help us out. As well as don't forget to download and subscribe to the podcast. That also helps us out. If you're not following James on Twitter, you can follow him at James underscore Shiano. Yes, get it right and. <laughs> For us, for for me, not for us, for me, it's at Giraffe Mark with the C. This is an hour-long episode. It's casually 10 o'clock at night. This is past John's bedtime. I know. I, I didn't even eat dinner. I got to eat dinner. I, I had some good Chinese food from down the street nice. in, in Astoria. But it's past John's bedtime. We got to wrap this one up, guys. We'll see you after the Brave series, hopefully with some smiles on our faces. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time. Get up. Get, get up. Get up. Get up.